0: This is the Education Gadfly Show.
1: My uh, father, late father, had a cousin named Adele. Does that help?
2: <laughs> it's, it's close. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Alyssa Schlink of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming my co-host, the Adele of education reform, Robert Pondicio. Hello. Are you on the other side? I yeah. am. Oh, hi. How nice to you? see you. I'm good. Yeah. How are
0: you? Uh, that's a complicated question.
2: Uh, that's usually your answer to that oh, question.
0: Become a no. piece, piece of shtick. <laughs> I'm well. How about yourself?
2: I'm well. The Grammy nods were announced this morning and can tell from your face mm-hmm. that you were waiting by your phone breathlessly. until breathlessly. Yes. Yes. Well, Adele scored several nominations. Not surprising. As did Beyonce. Okay. Uh, I've been the Beyonce of education reform in the past and it is a label I would like to hold on to. So- it is too
0: pretty to think so? <laughs>
2: So, hence, you are the Adele of education. Well,
0: uh, if nominated, I will not run. If elected, I will not serve.
2: And we're also joined today by Checker Finn, who needs no introduction. Checker, welcome to the podcast.
1: My uh, father, late father, had a cousin named Adele. Does that help?
2: It's it's close. <laughs> I don't think they're quite the same person, it's but it's a good do. name. Okay. It'll have to do. All right. And you obviously, again, need no introduction. You are a distinguished special guest and our distinguished Last senior blah, follow here <laughs> <Okay>. Florida <laughs>
0: <laughs> enough. all right. That put on your business card?
2: All right. But here we, we will dig right in. It's now time for the education reform update. so besides the Grammy nominations, there was much bigger news in the education world yesterday mm-hmm. when the Pisa scores were announced. Checker, you have been following Pisa for a while now. Tims were announced last week. Uh, how do we stack up internationally with the rest of the world?
1: Well, as I'm sure that all of our lifelong listeners know, uh, PISA and <laughs> Tim's are major international barometers of educational achievement across a number of countries, in both including the United States, or lack
0: thereof,
2: or lack thereof.
1: Measures of educational achievement. It doesn't mean that it's satisfactory or up. Uh, it just means there is a some achievement is taking place. Okay. Right. The U.S. has for a very long time been essentially in the middle of the pack Mm -hmm. on PISA. And PISA is mostly developed countries, mostly OECD-type countries. Mm -hmm. So we are essentially in the middle of the pack among our peer countries. And really nothing that's changed in the last three years alters that. We're still in the middle of the pack. The TIMS results, which are grades 4 and 8, show minor low slogging gains in math and science, which is good. I mean, we're all for gains, uh, but it's nothing dramatic. It's 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 creeping. Uh, the PISA results, you know, down in math, um, you can show bits of improvement on some metrics. There's a little bit of a blind man's elephant phenomenon with PISA. You can mm-hmm. always find mm-hmm. something in there that you... To support
2: uh, <laughs> what you're thinking. <laughs>
1: yes. I mean, there were some slight gains in equitable distribution of achievement within the American test-taking population. But the achievement is essentially flat. Which is also what we've seen on NAEP, and it's also what we've Mm -hmm. seen on SATs and ACTs. So I think almost regardless of which big barometer you look at, flat's probably the
0: best word. We are educationally becalmed.
1: Be calmed. Uh, In in yes, they used to say beset when the ship was caught (laughs) in ice for all winter. (laughs) <laughs>
2: oh, that's a lovely visual for uh, our nation's quite, kids. Quite the
0: image. I, I was struck, Checker, by uh, one metric uh, that shows that our 15 year olds are enjoying science more.
1: Then. And and contemplating a career in science-related mm-hmm. fields. Well, yeah, that's
0: exactly where I was going to go with this, which is it's one thing to enjoy it. It's one thing to be thinking about doing it for a living. But how well prepared are they to do so?
1: You know, there's a long history in American education of kids thinking they're doing well when they're not. Right. Having lots of self-esteem, which isn't justified. <laughs> uh Things like that. This is more of the same. We're really good at feeling good.
0: Yeah, but it, it, do we, have we gotten, can we foresee that we will get to a crisis moment here? And here's what I mean by that. And this is from memory. I don't have the data in front of me, but something like 8% of our kids are at the very highest level of, of achievement. Is, is that enough? In other words, as the global economy continues to advance and doesn't really much bother waiting around for us to catch up, as it were, at what point do we start to pay an economic price for this? Or do we?
2: For not having enough kids at
0: the advanced level. Not. Precisely. Mm-hmm. In other words, is good enough good enough?
1: Well, no. In the middle of the pack is not good enough. And uh, you can read or reread. Brandon's in my book called Failing Our Brightest Kids for mm-hmm. a close look that heavily depends on a piece of data, by the way, that argues that uh, the country's um, economic future and national security, et cetera, depend on getting more kids and a broad cross section of kids. Not just uh, white and Asian kids uh, mm-hmm. up to the advanced level uh, on PISA and all these other metrics, NAEP, and 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 you could continue on. Whether a crisis moment, this is more like a wasting disease. This is Ouch. not a this is not a heart attack. This is um, multiple sclerosis, okay. uh, cholesterol problems. It T- gradually causes you to fade. It doesn't mm-hmm. kill you overnight.
0: Well, this, this anticipates the next question I was going to ask you as the expert on this, which is, are we running out of time? Have we run out of time to educate our way out of this problem?
1: Well, no, we've never run out of time because it's a gradual down. It could be a gradual up. I mean, the Tim's data sort of show a gradual up a little bit.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, somebody at the in the federal government called it a long, slow slog. Um, and I think that's, uh, uh, that's about the way to think about it. No, we haven't run out of time, but we... If you look over the past, let's say, 25 years at all the reforming we've been doing and all the spending we've been doing mm-hmm. and still see flat right. and slow slog as the main outcome, it's pretty discouraging.
0: No, it is. And at the risk of, of channeling my inner Mark Tucker here, I'm also a little bit concerned that within a generation, we're going to see a lot more job loss to automation and whatnot. So this is this was my point in mm-hmm. the subtext of my question about educating our way out of this problem.
1: Yes, and it's not all been offshored. It's not all right. been sent to China. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the decline in checkout jobs at my neighborhood supermarket and, and CVS
0: yeah.
1: uh, are not because of China. That's right. Uh, they are, you would normally call them productivity gains in the economy, which mm-hmm. is to say that each store and each remaining employee is producing greater output, but there are fewer employees. I was say mm-hmm. there's a but coming, and, mm-hmm. and there that, it was. That,
2: there it is. Checker, would it be fair or would it be a bit of Miss Napery, ins whatever we're going to call it? Malpisa-ins. Malpisa-ins. Um, I think Liana at Edweek came up with that for nice. Twitter to say, well, you know, we saw some gains in Tim's last week, uh, but Pisa was flat. When Pisa's administered again in a couple of years, it's every three three years. Three years yeah. yeah. Are we? Can we predict um, some Pisa gains then or is this one of those situations where, you know, we have, as Mike sometimes argues, like, we've gotten a better handle on kind of the K-8 education and the reforms we need there, but then we keep losing kids in high school. What's your 2019 prediction here?
1: A uh, flat or uh, <laughs> a safe prediction. Just because that's the safe prediction based on 20 years of experience with PISA results. Mm-hmm. Uh, keep in mind that this is sort of wonky, but TIMS is actually based on the curriculum of the school and whether mm-hmm. kids in grades four and eight have learned it. PISA is proud of not having anything to do with schools or curriculum. It is meant to be more like a, a, a barometer of how all the 15-year-olds in the country are doing when presented with problems.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, it's a different kind of test. Um, I actually am more partial to the TIMSS approach to testing uh, because I think it has more to do with the things we can try to fix, the, the things we can actually try to alter. But Pisa, nevertheless, has most of the cachet and most of the pizzazz that goes with international comparison. So I don't think we're going to ignore it.
2: Mm-hmm. And my final question is, Robert, I might have some more, but we've got you here. You know, we saw some gains in Estonia, Finland, and Canada continue to do pretty well. Finland, not quite the miracle that it was 10, 15 years ago. But those countries don't utilize tracking until the very upper grade. So we're hearing a lot, well, this is an anti-tracking argument. We should not be differentiating students. We should not be differentiating instruction. Everyone in a classroom, everyone out of the classroom altogether is the way to go. Thoughts?
1: Well, the first of all, let me say the Schadenfreude side of me <laughs> took some slight pleasure in Finland doing a little worse because it's gotten so much goopy hype and it took a, I took a lot of pleasure in China doing worse. <laughs> Um, because instead of they've just
2: gaming their system, yes,
1: they? they were previously just looking at the Shanghai official Shanghai students. And now they've got a bigger chunk of the country and their score has gone down right. or their ranking mm-hmm. has gone down.
2: Maybe we should just look at Massachusetts.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, that's what David Driscoll would suggest. <laughs> uh, but he also would suggest that Massachusetts needs to, uh, up its act again, that they sort of got plateaued. Uh, on the basis of the reforms that I don't ever think there is a magic bullet or that there is some one country we should pattern ourselves mm-hmm. after. There are a lot of other differences between the U S and the countries that you named. I mean, they're small countries, mm-hmm. they're centralized countries. They, they have single ministry of education. They have relatively high status, well-paid teachers with large classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a bunch of differences that I think are, are, are relevant here. Uh, I was struck by the fact that the OECD's own guidance for the United States is very, sort of anti-ESSA and anti-Trump, mm. Mm. The, the OECD's own recommendations for the U.S., very much Andreas Schleicher, have to do with centralization, uniformity, standardization, and all the things that uh, people just voted against. Yeah, that's not going to work.
0: Actually, I had a question along those lines for you, Checker, which is, and this is kind of an unfair loaded question, but let's play with it. That's what we do on the podcast. Uh, if you are uh, Donald Trump, if you are his new education secretary, do you take this as, as advice, or do you just disregard it and say, I've got other fish to fry?
1: Well, you disregard the adv- the policy advice coming from Andreas Schleicher oh, no, no, I just in the Paris. The test
0: results itself, no, even
1: on your radar. screen. No, you, you use all the thermometers available to you to take the country's temperature in terms of educational <laughs> performance, and this is a, a, a thermometer. And if it were radically out of sync, Mm-hmm. With NAEP or TIMS or some other measure, then you'd have to look into what's different, what why, when they're all essentially flat or 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 slightly up or slightly down. Uh, you say we're not getting better, mm-hmm. and for the reasons that you mentioned, we need to get better right. as a country. So no, you take it seriously, but you uh, but but you use it as a basis for continuing to try to improve things <laughs> in the way you think best.
0: You can't make America great without making American education great.
2: And on that note, I think that's all the time we have for education reform update, but I think that's a great note to end on. So thank you so much, Checker, for joining us.
1: Well, it was a great conversation. If we can't make America great, we can make podcasts great.
2: (laughs) That's what we're here here to do. All right. Up next, everyone's favorite, Amber's Research Minute. And she's really great. We're back. Welcome to the show, Amber. Thank you, Alyssa. Uh, So Pisa came out yesterday. It did. What do you think? Well, I thought we were mediocre, as usual. (laughs) Um, No
3: surprises there. No surprises. just in. And uh, I don't know. It was just I don't. I'd like to be surprised one of these years when PISA results come out, like in a good way. But it's always like hmm,
2: there it is again.
0: Well, come on. If it were really up, you'd distrust the data, wouldn't you? Well, probably.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I did make a bet with a coworker whether or not they could write the story before the data came out, oh, and they did not take me up on the bet. Really?
0: Mm-hmm. Can I write for twenty nineteen right now? <laughs>
2: you can write it now. We'll put it in the drawer. We'll see what happens. Okay. But that's probably not the study that you have for us it today. It is not. You got something
3: else for us? I do. I decided to do something I've not done before, which is to look at one of the What Works Clearinghouse educator practice guides. Oh no, kidding! Oh, ah. I have. Robert, you ever done this? I've like, not
0: things? in detail, but I'm. But but I'm fascinated and.
3: All right. This one's called Teaching Secondary Students to Write Effectively. Oh, this is not at all of
2: interest to Robert Pondisio. Yeah. Uh,
3: and as a former high school teacher, uh, it was quite of interest to me, too. Um, so we spend a lot of time talking about, you know, what's going, how do we get high-quality research down to the classroom? And so What Works Clearinghouse has been trying to do this for years. Uh, they practice these published guides, which boil down the takeaways from rigorous research. Just a little bit about process. They identify these relevant studies. They do the systematic literature research. They ask the panelists who they've come together to write these things to recommend other studies. And then they review them against, you know, their standards, which tend to prioritize random assignment and rigorous quasi experimental designs. (laughs) Okay. They have written 22 guides over the last nine years. Mm -hmm. That is of interest to anyone. Okay. This time they reviewed the literature from 1995 through 2015. Approximately 3,700 studies were identified. Of those, a bunch <laughs> were deemed ineligible for various reasons. Then they were left with 55. Oh, they my God. Out f- of 3,700. 55. Oh. Were, we're not done. They used an RCT, a randomized control trial, mm-hmm. or a quasi-experimental design. Okay. And of the 55, they got down to… Two. Five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> 15. All right. Okay. 15 that met the What Works Clearinghouse criteria. Do you know
0: how many careers were involved in the… 3,685 studies that didn't make the cut? Well, (laughs) take my belt and my
3: shoes. In the end, um, the evidence scrub resulted in three recommendations, okay, for teaching high school kids how to write. And it just, uh, I'd like to say it gets better, but. Oh, one God. of which has strong evidence, another okay. that has moderate evidence, and another that has minimal evidence. The rec- okay? of the recommendation. I'm on. The, center so I'm a little bit works. I'm a little bit confused as to why they included the one that has minimal evidence in the recommendations.
0: Because they only had three. Amber. <laughs> <laughs> but it
3: started with 3,700. All right. 15. Number one, this has a strong evidence base. People, eleven studies. Okay, it is to teach appropriate writing strategies using a model, practice, reflect, instructional cycle. This includes things like teaching kids the process of writing, meaning how to plan, draft, evaluate, revise, and edit your writing, and to teach writing strategies such as Use a Venn diagram as a tool for a comparison contrast essay. You
0: know how much I hate this kind of teaching? I'm not just kidding. I, I really, this are not. We're not
3: done. Number <laughs> this is the one with the most the evidence. Second evidence.
0: This, this is such a setup. <laughs> the
3: second one has a moderate evidence base. eight studies. Okay? Okay. Number two, integrate reading and writing to emphasize key writing features. You like that? This yeah. includes teaching kids to model their writing after exemplars and study an author's craft. So perhaps you mimic your writing after a passage in a Hemingway or John Steinbeck novel or something like that. Okay. Sounds vaguely Lucy Culkin's, but we'll get Number to Number three.
0: You're just trying to wind me up, aren't you?
3: <laughs> Have I even got through yet? As minimal evidence. Now we're in the minimal evidence now. Four studies. Okay, four studies. And, and come on, this is like the really, really head-scratcher one here. It's to use assessments of student writing to inform instruction and feedback. So this includes things like the teacher assessing the student's writing strengths, perhaps through giving them a writing prompt, before then teaching them a new strategy or skill.
0: <laughs> okay. I mean, are you okay. enjoying this, <laughs> Alyssa? Right. You are, aren't you? <laughs>
3: all right. Let me just say the obvious as a person who used to teach writing. And, and Robert, you're more in the know than I am at this point. But the biggest thing that struck me of all, right, was mm-hmm. where is the recommendation to read a lot, right? Right because good readers make good writers and
0: so does knowing something and about your writing about.
3: knowledge yes sorry to say
0: my life is over
3: was <laughs> not in there robert was not in there
0: was it studied was it stu- was wasn't studied any of those 3700 zero about that right just a <laughs> um, hunt
2: well i don't know that part how is and maybe you'll get to this as a researcher, is there a recommendation to do more research on what works? This is, um, what, like, this is what, 2% of the studies uh, made it in? Uh, I'm not sure I saw that one in there. But, I mean, that's just not completely throw this
3: under the bus. But I will say that what's what's really harmful about this type of research, right, mm-hmm. is that it makes it sound like it's all about the strategies. It's exactly. the skills, all it's about not the, the strategies. And what, what really drove me nuts is there's a recommendation here that says, If some kids aren't using the strategies, especially Mm. your advanced kids, perhaps, make the strategy more complex.
0: Oh, no. Oh, no.
3: (laughs) So I'm like, where is it? And honestly, I look for it. But there was one sentence that actually said that maybe some kids no longer need to implement the strategy if they can write without them. And I'm thinking, maybe they'll need the flipping strategy in the first place, right? Because who says making a Venn diagram or whatever or a strategy like Maybe Somebody's, we don't
2: stalk the kids for not turning in a draft Venn diagram
3: right. to their essay. Honestly, when I used to teach, like, I was taught the writing process when mm-hmm. I was in ed school, when in ed school, right? Right, And I made my poor little kids make those Venn diagrams, make those little, like, little logic modeling-looking mm-hmm. things. Before mm-hmm. they ever put pen, back then it was pen to paper, we did have computer stuff. Right. Right. Um, and I just felt like some of them were like, ah, just doing these silly steps when they were ready to write.
0: And you just get paint by numbers, writing back. Mm-hmm. And it's just, right. And oh, some of those kids Lord. did
3: need the strategies, sure. right? Like some mm-hmm. of them do. But just to act like we've got to teach them this 15 grab bag of strategies before they can do anything. I mean, sure, some of these things are helping mm-hmm. the
2: kids, right? But I mean, yeah, I mean, something that I always, I taught kindergarten, so a lot of it was just they didn't know, oh, They were little, like they didn't, they weren't in high school. Mm -hmm. They didn't have all of this background knowledge. And it was like building explicitness in and making sure that you were teaching these things and teaching them how to think. And the strategies were very helpful then. And I know from, you know, working with older kids, like sometimes those things, which if you're in an affluent family are kind of just like baked in, Mm -hmm. you do need to make explicit. But continuing to hold students to them or doing things I remember um, when I was a student, like you would get docked points if you didn't turn in your Venn diagram That's listing out like three things. Like that is not right to a show that you thing. did the steps before yes. you
3: actually started yeah. writing.
0: I wish Dan Willingham were here. He, something he has pointed out for years about reading, which I my strong hunch is it would hold true for writing as well, uh, about reading strategies, which mm-hmm. is that uh, 50 lessons is as good, or you know, five lessons is as good as 50, so to speak. In other words, mm-hmm. once you've got the strategy, there's no, no further gain to continuing practice of Mm -hmm, the strategy so sure it makes a a certain amount of sense to understand the craft of writing Mm -hmm. have some strategies to get you unstuck as it were but writing is more than just practicing those damn strategies Mm -hmm. over and Mm -hmm. over and over again this is how we kill writing in in our school system
3: Mm -hmm. that's right i mean some of this just needs to And and some kids it's just going to come natural like instead of having to write here are three ways the topic is similar to this other topic and three ways they're different you know what i mean like some kids, like just know it. They yeah. just know it. Yeah. They don't need to write write
2: the little thing down.
0: Yeah, ah. but can you yeah. say that in five paragraph number?
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I will say, as Common Core supporters, sometimes they do need to explain their work. But yeah, yeah, in some cases, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Let me just ask you this, Robert, because mm-hmm. I've got this question for it. We do these
3: little brown bag, mm-hmm. you know, things mm-hmm. around here. Mm-hmm. I said, Alyssa, this idea I earlier, liked it. which is like the people who do a lot of writing around here, and you're one. Um, As I was reading this, I'm thinking, what do adult good writers, what do they do? Like before you sit down to write your next installment for U.S. News or Mm -hmm, whatever mm -hmm. it may be, what's the first thing you do? Do you do do an outline? Do you do bullet points or do you just start First of all,
0: uh, having just dumped all over the process writing, let me say I wouldn't want anybody to follow my process. (laughs) Uh, This would be a good way to be frustrated. Um, But to to be serious about it, I think good writing stems from a clear idea and a made-up mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words once you know what you want to say and mm-hmm. and you have clarity and yes background knowledge about it i don't want to say it writes itself but it, mm-hmm. the, the, the process takes care of itself so to mm-hmm. speak mm-hmm. uh and, and then it's just the craft of writing honestly the the the, the best uh, true story i was in remedial english in college and now i'm more or less a professional writer mm-hmm. it's because i've learned something about the field that i write about right. uh, mm-hmm. but the thing the, the craft of writing i'll tell you where i got my best advice on that it wasn't even advice it was working at Time Magazine, where every mm-hmm. Friday night I would see what some of the best writers in the world would write, and then I would see in the on the right hand margin what some of the best editors in the world would do mm-hmm. with that writing. Mm-hmm. That was the best education writing I've ever gotten. Mm-hmm. Not by studying, I couldn't tell you what the strategies were. It, it just you notice things over time.
3: You were just reading their feedback, That's exactly you mean right. Mm-hmm. Exactly and you right. learn to do yeah. kind of what they were pointing
0: out. Yeah. I mean it's fairness, developing good judgment. Developing judgment. You might emulate a few little, you know, tips and tricks along the line, but the mm-hmm. tips and tricks are not the same thing as good writing. Mm-hmm. They're just, they're, they're, they're devices.
2: Hey, well, that's all the time we have for the Research Minute on this incredibly uplifting <laughs> edition so of the Education Gap. Please God. don't
0: ask me to do this podcast ever again. <laughs> I'm so I'm sorry, just Robert.
2: <laughs> I know what that word means. It's a great word. Anyways, thank you so much, Amber. You're welcome. All right. And that's all the time we have for the entire Gadfly Show. Till next week.
0: Uh, I'm depressed. I mean, I'm your yeah. <laughs> mother.
2: And I'm Alyssa Schwenk for the Thomas B. E. Fordham Institute signing off.
1: The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.